Hi, this is Anna from Chicago, Illinois. Dusted is a Story Wonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash storywonk. Thanks. Everyone and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted. You're wishing we'd named the show Demons, Demons, Demons.com, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Podcast. See, we went with the much less popular Vampires, 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 <laughs> dot biz. Which, now that I think about it, was not good SEO. No, it really wasn't. It we really just wasn't. just don't get the Google juice. ill-advised. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to talk about anything else in the episode besides Demons, Demons, Demons.com. No, seriously. It is a great joke. It is so adorable. Adorable, and I really wish that we could buy that that domain, but it belongs to somebody. Somebody went out and got it. Don't think for a moment that I didn't try to buy demonsdemonsdemons.com <laughs> prior to recording this episode. I promise you, I did. This episode, The Ring, the 16th episode of season one of Angel. It aired on February the 29th in the year 2000, written by Howard Gordon. This is his last Angel script. Yeah. Having written previously Hero and Expecting. Howard, we hardly knew you. Here you are. This closes in and out his yeah. run, and it's the only Angel Angel episode for director Nick Mark, a name that we know very well, not just from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but from Veronica Mars, which he will, I guess, go on to direct five years after (gasps) directing this. We're seeing his future. Well, we absolutely are, because this (laughs) is not the Angel house style. Yeah. This episode doesn't really look like any other episode of Angel. It's certainly not cut like any other episode of Angel. We get a lot of trailing voiceover Mm -hmm. after we've cut to the next scene. Sure. Which Mm -hmm. is not really a feature of the Angel House style, but is absolutely a feature of Veronica Mars. (laughs) So we talk about the difference between a director's individual style and Mm -hmm. the way that he mimics the established tone of a show. Mm -hmm. I don't think Nick Mark gets Angel right. I do think that what he does is interesting and compelling. I think he's a really good director. I think that this episode of Angel also doesn't spend a lot of time in the same spaces that we're usually in with Angel. It doesn't. We are in a completely different physical space. Everything looks different. And the thing is that when you're in a new space, the director who inherits that new space, be it just for one episode or the first episode in which that space appears, uh, they kind of get to set the tone for that space or the visual tone for that space Mm -hmm. anyway. So I think that Nick Mark had this, you know, we're in this weird space for most of this episode. It's a space we will be for one episode and then never see again. (laughs) And I think he just kind of puts his own style on that because nobody else has interpreted that space visually before. That's certainly fair. And I think it is. It is Nick Markey. It is and very. It yeah. brings a real noir sensibility, uh, which is what we'll does. see from him mm-hmm. in Veronica Mars much later, and what we'll see from him in Buffy too. That's not an element that's ever entirely absent from his style. Yeah. So I appreciate it, and I've got to say, this is not a bad episode. It's not a bad episode. It's vastly improved by coming on the heels of the prodigal. I think that's fair. <laughs> Grading on a curve. This is a really enjoyable episode. It's the best house in a bad neighborhood is what you're saying. (laughs) But I think on an absolute scale, Mm -hmm. it's a solid piece of work. And it has some really genuinely great moments of interaction. I think it's a good story. I think it's well written. I think it's well focused. Um in and of itself, like the elements of it, there isn't much in this that delights me. And there isn't much in it that makes me feel like I'm really experiencing an episode of Angel, sure. you know, um, aside from, you know, demons, 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 there's demons everywhere. And so that's the thing. Um, well, no, even that, though, <laughs> doesn't really feel like an episode of Angel. No, it doesn't. And and so, I mean, there are some things in this that I absolutely love. I love the Wesley and Cordy that we're going to get at, at various moments. We have we have kind of a shimmering spectrum of who these characters are and every now and again that spectrum lands just on the Wesley and Cordy that I particularly like Um, and other times it doesn't Um, we get among the best depictions of Cordelia that we've seen to date in and, this episode. And some of the not greatest depictions sure. of Cordelia. At the and same some time. of the best depictions of Wesley that we've seen to date. While in this still episode. getting goofball Wesley. A little yes. bit. Yeah. Wesley for me works less well than Cordelia. Yeah. Just because I think the the polar extremes are not quite so exaggerated with Cordelia as they are with Wesley, because he is both a, a clownish yes. clutz of a man. This this goofball pratfall Wesley that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, in that one scene, Batman. Yes, exactly. So somehow you have to reconcile those two things. Yeah, no, it's it's tough. But I, I kind of try to ignore the stuff I don't like and just focus on the stuff I really like because I really did enjoy Wesley and Cordy in this episode. That's the spirit. So you talk about alternate titles for this podcast. <laughs> Ignoring the stuff we don't like Ignoring would have been a great alternate title. Like. There you go. Let's get into it. We open on Cordelia, who has, of course, discovered the Internet's premier resource for demons, demonology, and demonistics. Demons, demons, demons at demons, demons, demons dot com. Um, I really did try and buy it. I promise. Someday it will be mine. Cordelia and Wesley Bicker, Wolfram and Hart are not in the database. Though we learn that there are demonic cultures indigenous to L.A., the first hint that we'll get that we're still not done expanding our understanding of what demons are and where they come from and how many there are. Or even figuring out what demons are i mean we we have a fair bit of retconning from where we started in season one buffy we go through and we kind of revise sort of every season between buffy and angel who the demons are Mm -hmm. what they are what they represent uh whether they're evil or not whether they're just basically different cultures or not um it's it's kind of weird. It's kind of nebulous. It sort of shifts much like Cordy and Wesley's personalities. You know, it sort of shifts along this spectrum that we kind of fly the over. The show you know? will take a little time to find its feet. I think yeah. it's fair to say that by the end of the first season, albeit the very end of the first season, mm-hmm. we will have landed on a vision of Angel, a vision of Los Angeles mm-hmm. that will be much more consistent going forward. Yeah, I think that's been more in the first season. early season two. Early season two, they finally make a choice and they stick with it. <laughs> After that, it, it, it's more consistent. But this run up to that, we sort of have demons shifting all over the spectrum of, of what they are. And I still yeah. feel very much like one of the, the real benefits of strong world building is that when you go into that space, it feels real. Like J.R.R. Tolkien the Lord of the Rings, you go into that space and it feels real because every detail, he knows exactly how it works. When we have a situation like this, where we have this extensive world building, a lot of which kind of contradicts itself and some of which doesn't, you know, is just there for one episode and then goes away entirely. It doesn't feel that secure. You feel like I'm not really sure how this world works. Now, for me, I'm not terribly interested. Like, demons are just demons. I accept whatever you give me. It's fine. I don't care. Because I'm in it for the personal relationships of the people doing the thing. You're right in its fine movements, in the Mm -hmm. subtleties. I I see where you're coming from. But we're approaching now a tonal threshold. We're approaching a very different world. Absolutely. Which this episode goes as far as to recognize explicitly, right at the end, when they're watching the demons run (laughs) off into the night and suddenly have this realization of, oh, wait, this is Angel. Sure. We've done a bad thing here. (laughs) I think that we're still trying to find... Yeah. Find a comfortable position there that will enable us to tell the kinds of stories that Angel is best suited for. Yes. And we'll we'll get there. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in this episode, though, about the relationship between demons and vampires. Yeah. Because we swing back and forth a little bit between vampires are the worst and scariest kind of demons. Yes. Or vampires are demon light. Yes, exactly. They're the low calorie demon alternative. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly where we end Uh on that, because, of course, Angel is exceptional. Yes. And we get some recognition of that within the frame of the episode, too. It's an interesting episode to discuss just on that level, just from the perspective of world building. I think it's interesting. I think it's well written, Um, but I'm not sure it's a great episode of Angel. Sure. So maybe we should dive into that uh, summary and see. We'll get to it, yes. Cordelia suggests to Wesley that they should run perhaps a demon dating site, archfiend.org, which is a terrible idea. Dot orgs are for non-profits. Exactly. Why would you run a non-profit <laughs> dating site, Cordelia? Jeez. I will say, we get a lot from Charisma Carpenter and a lot of different things from Charisma Carpenter within the span of the episode. The reading on demon dating site yes. in that opening scene is something new from her. Yes. There is an Alison Hannigan level of, of I don't know, ingenue enthusiasm yeah (laughs) it's a completely fresh and Mm -hmm. upbeat line read and i really like it i don't think we've ever seen charisma carpenter do that yeah not sure we'll ever see her do it again but it was fun for the moment it was really fun sure i loved it cordelia criticizes wesley's active private life and he assaults her pumps and her push-up bra which is undeserving of both of them yeah we mentioned bad wesley yeah in addition Mm -hmm. to good wesley in this episode there is no way that Wesley Wyndham Price would ever 
criticize Cordelia for her pumps and her push-up bra, right? Or indeed no. even say the words push-up bra out loud? I don't loud. think it's consistent. And it's also like beneath Wesley. Like Wesley may have, you know, conflict with Cordelia, but he's never going to attack something like that. Like he's never going to, to swing that low at her. You and know? here again, we have a character criticizing Cordelia for the way that she dresses. Exactly. <laughs> When Cordelia in no way dresses in an outrageous manner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or usually. Usually. On occasion, you know, we have something a little revealing, but you know what? Good for her. She's, you know, it's it's fine. There's nothing wrong with the way that she dresses, whether she's conservative or whether she's less conservative, because it's just, that's just pure slut shaming, which I think is beneath Wesley. And regardless, yeah. if she he walked would not in do it. every day in lingerie exactly. to work at the Angel Investigations office, Wesley would still never criticize or comment. And I genuinely don't believe that Wesley knows what a push-up bra is. I don't think he knows no. that such garments exist. Right, exactly. Most men don't because they don't have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> they think women just look like that. That's, the, that's what they think. <laughs> Angel intervenes in the bickering, checking to see if either of them needs a timeout on the naughty step. And they're interrupted by Darren McNamara, a guy who looks like he's been around the block. His brother Jack has been kidnapped and a severed finger was left in his mailbox. It turns out the kidnappers weren't people, which makes this a job for Angel. We cut to the credits, and as you can tell by the fact we've spent 10 minutes discussing the cold open. Yes. There's a lot there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of characterization, a lot of world building. I think it works really quite well. Mm -hmm. I am in yeah, it's point. a nice it's a nice setup. We have this very vulnerable client. Sure. You know, and, and, and ending on this moment, they're not people, you know. Um yeah. What do we think of Angel referring to Cordelia and Wesley as children? I think this is something that we've been setting up. We did this with I've Got You Under My Skin, where we have this parallel between a father trying to protect his family and Angel trying to protect Cordy and Wesley, that he is seeing them as his kids. And so I think that we've been playing around with this idea of using that as an analog for that relationship, which, you know, spoilers will not last. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's that's what it comes down to, yeah. is that I appreciate that we're doing this now, Yeah, but we also kind of need to stop doing this now. And I think that they realized that, like, they yeah. played that up for a few episodes, for a handful of episodes, they sort of tried that as an analog, and I think it just wasn't working, so they dumped it and moved yeah. forward, yeah. After the credits, Darren tells Angel all about Jack, the waster little brother with a gambling problem. Jack was in deep with a bookie at a sports bar called Shots, and when Darren went to investigate, he found demons. Angel leaves Darren with Cordelia and Wesley and goes off to see the bookie in question, Ernie Nellis. Ernie is playing a little friendly poker. Angel intrudes, throws down the pictures of Jack with a well-orchestrated quip that you know he wrote in the car, disarms Ernie, and leads him out to the alley, Ernie claims not to know what's going on, but a little prestidigitation is all it takes to persuade him. Somewhere beneath Beechwood Canyon, there lurks a darkness. Somewhere beneath Beechwood Canyon, there lurk howler demons, as we'll see in a moment. <laughs> yes. What do you think of the scene with Ernie, the scenes with Ernie? Um, I, I'm usually bored at this point. Yeah. There's something about, you know, Angel walks into a bunch of bad guys. They get quippy. He smacks them around a little bit and he gets his information. Like we've, we've seen this quite a lot and there's nothing particularly compelling about this instance of it. I think when we have Angel on his own, he's less interesting than when he's with his, his team. And when he's in super badass mode. Yeah. Too. yeah mm-hmm. The quip as he lays the cards down, mm-hmm. or lays the photographs down rather, is maybe a bridge too far. And then yeah. we get this beautifully shot and incredibly, you know, noir drenched yeah. scene in mm-hmm. the alley, which I like. But it's not Angel. It doesn't feel like this show. Yeah. And we're mm-hmm. also playing straight the deception. Yes. It lies at the heart of this opening movement of the story, mm-hmm. which is fine, except that by the time we get to the reveal, yeah. we start feeling as though maybe we wasted our time playing exactly. it straight. Exactly. Well, because it's that, you know, the value of that twist. We get so excited about, ooh, at the end of the first act, we're going to twist everything around. But then our conflict doesn't really start until we get there. Yeah. You know? It is beautifully, beautifully shot. Though. It is. It is. It's very nicely shot. Back at the office, Cordelia is using the search engine to track the demons. Howler demons, we learn before Wesley can even open a book. And I wanted to check on the difference between howler demons and howler monkeys. 
But unfortunately and inexplicably, monkeysmonkeysmonkeys.com, also not a website. Oh, no. What does a guy have to do? I know. I may buy that before this podcast goes up. That's a million dollar <laughs> idea right there. Beneath Beechwood Canyon, Angel discovers a grate with gelatinous human looking remains. A really gross piece of set dressing that we will not return to. Yes. <laughs> not even for a moment. He's attacked by the howler demons or monkeys. Wish I had a website so I could be sure. He finally <laughs> pins one of the demons against the wall and learns Jack McNamara has been sold. We cut to the exterior of a club in a rundown part of the city where some expensively dressed partygoers are waiting to get in. Angel pulls the bars off a basement window and slips inside while we cut to a woman sitting alone at a bar. She almost drops a ticket on the floor, but Angel catches it and returns it to her. Further inside, he finds Demon Fight Club. One demon beats another to the ground, then as the crowd chants killing blow slits his throat, Angel watches, and as another demon is introduced, he sees Jack leaving. He follows after, but it's a trap. Darren is there too, as well as a number of guys with tasers. Angel tries to fight and is knocked unconscious, Mm -hmm. and that's the end of our first act. Right. It works well enough. We mm-hmm. do spend a little too much time with Ernie. We introduce Lila in yes. this incredibly mm-hmm. heavy-handed and conspicuous right. way, which I guess we have to do because Angel has to recognize her at the end of the episode, sure. too. <laughs> it does remind me of much earlier Angel. It reminds me, in fact, of, of City Of. Yeah. Particularly mm-hmm. his little trick of catching the ticket before it hits the ground. Right. Mm-hmm. There's some nice Angel characterization being folded in. But really, this is about Demon Fight Club. What do we think first off, of the visual depiction of this space. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I actually like the way that it's shot. Um, I think that it's visually interesting. It's this cold cement space behind this very hot club. Um, Everybody's in the back. We see all this, you know, incredibly rich people with their little tickets watching these demons fight each other. That's the beat that, for me, wasn't fully realized. Mm -hmm. I would have liked to have seen a little more you know, decline and fall of the Roman Empire. I would have liked to see a little more debauchery amongst the viewers Mm -hmm. because they're all standing there in a very well-ordered, you know, Mm -hmm. circle, all holding their drinks and they're cheering, but they're not really boisterous. Yeah. I would have Mm -hmm. liked to have seen a little more heat from the crowd, but I understand that's a difficult thing to do. And it's a difficult thing to do on network television. There are some very uh, conspicuous cuts in this episode, Mm -hmm. some very conspicuous pieces of framing that are all about getting this episode past standards and practices yeah, mm-hmm. because we're killing yeah. in a way that we don't normally kill. And we're mm-hmm. killing characters that we have time to get to know that have defined and developed personalities and identities. Well, and who, you know, as far as we can tell are victims and have done nothing exactly. wrong. Exactly. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, kind of a complicated episode in that way. And I think that when we get to the Fight Club, when we see this happening, when Angel gets, you know, kidnapped, I think that that's really where this story starts. We we do this entire first act just so we can have that twist. Yeah. You know, where Jack is fine and it was a setup between him and Darren to get Angel there. But... Yes, which I don't entirely understand. I don't think that's the most efficient way of capturing mm-hmm. Angel. Yeah. Why do they specifically want Angel to join their fight club when there are apparently, I don't know, hundreds of demons living in LA that won't be noticed? But he's a vampire with a soul. There's only one of them. They don't know that he has a soul at this point because they don't know that until Lila tells them later. Oh, yeah, I don't know. So they're just going to the most famous vampire in Los Angeles (laughs) and dragging him into their Mm -hmm. super illegal underground operation. Yes. I'm not sure of the wisdom of that. Mm -hmm. It might have been better if... Instead of it being orchestrated, instead of going for the twist, Angel had just stumbled into this mm-hmm. while actually investigating a demon that had gone missing. Yeah. I think that there are a number of alternatives to that first act mm-hmm. that would have worked more consistently with the rest of the episode rather than having Darren yeah. lead him into this, this which would big have and tightened extensive it up. trap. It's yeah. basically the entire first act, which quite honestly I'm usually bored by in this episode the entire first act is just about setting up that twist yeah, and I don't think it's is, worth it this is where the yeah. story begins mm-hmm. we don't really we need to foreshadow Ernie I guess only so we get the Wesley reveal later uh, yeah I mean for but, that but yeah. and I'm not sure that scenes as yeah. much as I love Wesley in that moment I'm not sure that it's I, I'm not entirely sure we couldn't have harmonious. replaced that with another yeah. great Wesley moment yeah Angel wakes inside a cell with some fancy looking Roman numeral metal cuff He tries talking to the other demon in the cell who doesn't respond to English or Spanish or Russian or Italian. Are we taking notes? Because I would like to be absolutely consistent with Angel's approach to languages (laughs) later in the series. I want to be completely sure that he knows Russian much later in the series. (laughs) Jack shows up, opens the cell, 
and lays out the rules. The band Angel is wearing will hurt him if he crosses the red line, but he'll be free after his 21st kill in the ring. Wesley and Cordelia are so worried about Angel at this point that they even resort to calling Kate. <laughs> Wesley's going to follow in Angel's footsteps, no matter the danger. And we have a pratfall of him trying to take weapons out of a filing cabinet. Yes. Firstly, don't keep your weapons in a filing cabinet. <laughs> I think it's probably not the best use of space, either for the filing cabinet or for the weapons. That's what I'm thinking. I think it's and a bad match. It's not as though Angel doesn't have elaborate weapon racks I downstairs. think that a, a locked weapon cabinet is Perhaps. probably the best way to go. Perhaps. Yeah. This is the Wesley, as we've commented before, that we don't like. Yeah. Wesley is an innately funny character. Mm-hmm. And Alexis Denisov has a huge amount of talent. Yes. With physical comedy and pratfalls. Mm-hmm. I don't need this. I don't appreciate this. And I particularly dislike it when, aside from this physical comedy, Mm -hmm. this is a great episode for Wesley. Yeah, no, it really is. There's a lot of high points for Wesley here. And this is just not one of them. This is one of these, we get this goofball Wesley stuff, which, and honestly, it's not that funny. You know, a pratfall is not that funny. It's not the kind of, of, you know, more sophisticated humor that we're used to getting from the Buffyverse in general and even from Angel. Even the kind of humor that we get later during the scene in which they're impersonating police officers. (laughs) Yeah. That is a consistently Wesleyan piece of comedy, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He misunderstands what he's trying to do and he goes too far. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That works. It's it's a good moment. Right. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that moment much less because of this moment. Yes. Mm -hmm. We cut back to the cells where the demons are eating. Crib, the lizard demon we previously saw win, steals the food of another demon, but Angel doesn't like bullies. A fight is about to break out when conversation is interrupted by the whine of charging tasers. And we use that sound effect <laughs> yes. several times in the episode to mm-hmm. really build tension. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice piece of, of audio design. Mm-hmm. Angel returns the kid's food, but later, the kid is less than grateful. And when Jack and Darren show up with the fight schedule for the next night, it's revealed that he's going up against a far stronger demon. The kid stands up for himself, but when the silent demon from earlier breaks and runs, he's immediately disintegrated. Luckily, that opens a spot on the roster, and Angel is called up for tonight's fight. What do we think of the introduction to our group of demons, our ensemble cast here? Well, we've got three demons who we know. You mm-hmm. know, we've got Crib, who is the one with, like, the weird lizard face thing going on. We have yep. Trep- Trepkos, who we know is the super-duper killer. You know, who is ready to get his 21st. I think Mellish, Mellish is the, the kid, the, yes. the, um, the kid getting bullied. So we have this sense of these three guys. And then we've got these other guys hanging around. But the thing is that all of them are victims. Trepkos is seemingly a decent, fairly decent guy. He's just in a situation where he's forced to kill for his own life Mm -hmm. so you know what are you going to do right um so none of these people that is in fact the question at the heart of the the entire episode what are you going to do but you're right Mm -hmm. trepkos is eyes on the prize yeah not exactly not necessarily a bad guy we have you know crib who is kind of a bully seems fairly comfortable in this space of of kill or be killed you know um and then we've got mellish who is kind of this nervous fitzy little little guy but i like we give mellish a more sophisticated characterization Mm -hmm. than simply have him be, you know, the nervy teenage. The vulnerable kid, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he really is trying to assert himself. Yes. And it's actually quite bracing, quite shocking mm-hmm. when he says that he's had his first kill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the work that we do with Mellish a yeah. great deal. Mm-hmm. Trepkos is really good. Crib for me is the 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 weakest of the three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because he's the most predictable in many he's ways. He's a little flat. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Though we'll get some interesting moments with him yes. later. Ernie, meanwhile, is beating some guy senseless when Wesley shows up looking for Angel. Unintimidated by Ernie's bravado, Wesley demands answers, then shoots Ernie with the crossbow, takes his gun, frees the beaten man, and repeats the question. (laughs) Serious moment for Wesley. I love, this is my Wesley. This is, he's so good in this moment and so inconsistent with goofball Wesley who could not pull a weapon out of a filing cabinet. There is no way to reconcile this Wesley with the other Wesley. But I love this capable Wesley. I love that he shoots him with a crossbow. His hand is now pinned to the wall. He grabs his gun, holds it on the other guy's freeze i mean all in like three seconds freeze the beaten up guy and then the other guys just leave you know the pratfall stuff is too silly yeah this is too badass it is seriously we badass need to moderate 
Wesley. Yeah. He mm-hmm. needs to just take everything down by about 20%, mm-hmm. and then we'll have something approaching a consistent character. Don't get me wrong. I love this scene. There is nothing not to love about badass Wesley. Right, yeah. But. Well, also, when he goes up to the guy, and his hand is pinned to the wall, and he takes the crossbow pin, yes. and starts moving it around and torturing him, that's dark Wesley? Um... That's a little bit dark for where we are with Wesley right now, I think. It's a little bit dark for where we are with Angel. This is, again, a noir scene that's somewhat ill-suited to to this show's tone. I love seeing Wesley in this space. We're not ready for Wesley yet at that like he has not arced and this is what i'm talking about whenever anybody has heard me talk about character breaks this is what i'm talking about we break wesley for this moment so that we can have this like super batman dark moment and the thing is that like i like i love seeing wesley because we know how um sensitive and thoughtful and intelligent wesley is so when you see this side of his capability it's a really nice layer to him and i like that but we haven't earned that layer yet we haven't completely though for me this is much less a character break than Than the pratfall physical yeah no absolutely i mean wesley's always going to be a little goofy yeah. And that's going to work well enough as a consistent... I like him as socially goofy. Exactly. I like him as socially The same inept. way we like Angel we as socially see, goofy. Exactly. We <laughs> see some of that. But, like, uh, but I also like that he has real capabilities, you know? Mm. We've seen him... And honestly, Pratfall Wesley is probably more consistent with the Wesley that we've seen up to now. The Wesley who, in the final fight with the mayor at the end of Buffy Season 3, goes out, gets knocked out in the first 30 seconds, and then complains and whines sure. as he's being shoved into an ambulance but during the that Wesley finale. the Wesley that we've seen in Angel is the Wesley with father issues. It's and, the Wesley yeah. who was willing to step into danger to exercise a demon from a young boy. We've seen him go through the fire a little bit since he's shown yeah. up on this show. And the pratfalls now feel like and the legacy. And we keep going back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I like I think the fact it's nothing that we're arcing more. him out of that. Sure. I but, think it's yeah. nothing more than the fact that Alexis Denisov is just so good at it. He He's so good, and he's good at all of it. Yeah. Like, he makes me buy, as much as I don't like the pratfalls, I buy them from him, you know? And I buy badass Wesley sure. in, this, in this scene. I love this scene. I will not argue that's in any way consistent. <laughs> I love Wesley in this moment. I love badass Wesley. He's my favorite. I don't think we've earned this level of badass or this level of darkness in Wesley. Well, let's look Just past yet. the execution mm-hmm. to the intent. Yes. What do we think about Wesley's loyalty to and commitment to Angel? Uh, I think that that is the one space where we are completely consistent with yeah. Wesley all the way through. Me too. That he is, whatever it is that he's doing, he's always 100% committed to it. And this is maybe the first full realization mm-hmm. of that, the first full expression of yes. that. Mm-hmm. I like it a great deal. I like it too. I like Wesley being in that space. I like him being able to take these guys who are big, tough guys who are beaten up by this other guy and, um, and just, you know, neutralize the room in three seconds. I love that. I don't think we've earned it. But I love it. Yeah. Back at the ring, Lila from the bar tells Darren that Angel has a soul. She tries to better the odds on Angel and finally puts her money on our plucky protagonist at even odds. In the cells, the kid gives Angel some advice on how to kill his opponent, but Angel isn't into the fight. Jack calls him to the ring. Angel squares off against Baker, a scrappy fellow with a line in ragged clothing. Outside, Cordelia and Wesley impersonate police officers and strong-arm some sports fans, some legitimate and perfectly legal sports fans, <laughs> into parting with their tickets. That's a good scene. Again, maybe a little bigger, maybe a little more capable than we might expect from Cordelia and Wesley acting in concert. I know, but, but I, I love really it. But I really like it. No, again, like, honestly, you know, Cordy is so inconsistently written. We have some episodes where she's written as like this ditzy office broad, you know, and then we have other episodes where she's written with this depth and understanding. And I love so much of what Cordy is. But this, where she comes in, where she fakes being a cop, where she completely scams these people out of their tickets. Uh, and Wesley is, you know, a little goofy, but at least goofy in a way that makes sense. Like socially, he's not sure mm-hmm. how to lie, you know, which I kind like he's not sure how to play that game i think that's a nice thing and they still manage to get away with it but they work really well together and one of the things that i like about cordy and wesley i don't particularly care for the children metaphor in the beginning i don't particularly care for the pointless bickering and for the the very childish way that wesley speaks to her yeah which i don't think wesley would speak to her in that way i think that wesley is a man who respects no, women i could buy cordelia needling wesley yes i don't see him 
Because he's not Doyle. I don't see him They don't have the same her. kind of relationship. Well, he's also, I think, I, I can see him being dismissive of her. I can sure. see him, like, ignoring her, which exactly. would make her crazy. I love that. Yeah. I think that would be great. Um, but this, where they work together, and they work together well, almost despite themselves. Mm. Like, I gotta tell you, there's nothing I love better for building any kind of relationship, romantic or otherwise. Um, and Wesley and Cordy are definitely otherwise. Um, <laughs> than having two people who work really well together who are able to play off of each other and accomplish what it is that they're going after i think it's it's a fabulous way to characterize somebody is to give them a job and let them do it capably it's it's a wonderful thing to do so i love this moment again is it earned maybe not but i'd rather have this than ditzy cordy and pratt fall wesley i think it's much closer to being earned it's it's a stress on the frame more Mm -hmm. than a break to the frame Mm -hmm. i I like it and i think it works well enough Mm -hmm. cordelia certainly something of an expert at social engineering yes i Mm -hmm. don't put it past her that she could conceive of this plan and then execute it the thing that strikes me most is that this is another noir beat Mm -hmm. the idea of city corruption goes all the way to the top exactly don't you know who i am yes that really works for me i'll talk to your boss yeah yeah Mm -hmm. really and then cordy just plays right off of it nicely she absolutely she absolutely picks it up it's great uh it's a really nice texture Mm -hmm. uh for the entire episode inside angel is defending himself but refusing to fight the crowd is quickly becoming unsettled including wesley and cordelia who have found their way into the ring wesley quickly goes over the rules again while darren passes baker a knife which he uses to cut angel's arm causing our hero to vamp out He defends against a few more blows, then stabs the blade into Baker's chest, gaining his first kill as the crowd chants his name. Backstage, the kid and his opponent are called up. Angel tries to tell them that they can band together, they can fight their captors, but the best Trepkos can do is promise a swift death for Mellish. And out in the ring, that's what he delivers. I really appreciate how straight we play all of these bouts, all of these conflicts. Mm -hmm. I like that Angel is forced to kill. Yes. And I like that we get that shot of him with the blood on his hand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a heavy moment for a character that we now know so well to follow that up with Trepkos and Mellish. Mm Mm-hmm. In a show that was less committed to following through on consequence, yeah, we would found some way to interrupt the bout. We would right, have right. actually Something orchestrated have some kind of raid. Mellish would have survived for another day. Right. Yes, uh, but, but instead we, we sacrifice Mellish. And I also like the fact that when Angel stabs that that demon, the demon bleeds red. Yeah. That we have demons that bleed all manner of color. It's blue, it's yellow, it's gunky, it's whatever. You know, when we have a demon that bleeds red, that speaks of humanity. And that's when standards and practices sits up and pays attention. Yes, exactly. And that's why some of the cuts that you'll see here are a little oblique, mm-hmm. a little ambiguous, right. perhaps. We get the narrative thrust, but we don't see anything mm-hmm. because that is a fine line to walk, particularly back in 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Cordelia and Wesley leave at the end of the bout discussing strategy. They can't go to the police, but Wesley can take the band Cordelia stole and fashion a key. The smile that he gives her oh, is the I best moment in the episode. That. It absolutely is. And yeah. for all that we've talked about Cordelia and Wesley being somewhat out of focus, somewhat mm-hmm. out of phase yes. through the episode, through really the season as a whole, this is the moment where they work completely for me this is beautiful stuff and i like this story too because it has real impact on angel's story as well Mm. what we often do is we split angel off first it was he was split off from cordy and doyle and cordy and doyle would have some kind of little adventure in the background sometimes related to the main story sometimes not Um, but it would always be somewhat separate somewhat light not necessary Mm. nothing's really happening it's just keeping them busy while angel does the big story so here we have the situation where they are in a, in a position where they can't rely on Angel. They have to save him. So it is connected to the main story, which gives it a little extra weight. But also they've got their own arc going here. They go from, you know, fighting and bickering in the beginning to working really well together and respecting each other. And I like that arc. You know, it may be clumsily handled in some ways in certain spaces, but I like where that's going. I like that we're telling a real connected story for Cordy and Wesley in this moment, too. And when he sees that cuff, 
And he has such respect for her and the way yeah. that he smiles at her. I love that moment. It is a great moment mm-hmm. of bringing two people together. It's also a really strong piece of consequence mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Again, we're following through. They leave without Angel. Yeah. The night ends and our heroes have lost. Yeah. They haven't managed to save anyone. That's really strong stuff. Mm-hmm. Back in the cells, Jack makes the mistake of taunting Angel from the other side of the red line. But Angel can endure a little pain and drags Jack to his much more dangerous side. He demands information about the band, but the other demons aren't quick to help him. The guards go to summon Darren, who doesn't hesitate to shoot Jack in cold blood and then set the guards upon Angel. Does that maybe feel as though we're taking a half step toward shock? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that we are. I think that this honestly works much better than the twist in the beginning where they faked Jack's kidnapping and Angel sure. realizes it. Um, I think that this is a moment where Angel has Jack. That's his brother, right? These are the Koch brothers of the demon world. We see how incredibly evil they are. Um, and Darren just takes out a gun and shoots his brother, which is something unexpected. And yet it shows us how incredibly dangerous Darren is. And I also like that the dangerous brother is the kind of you know frumpy middle-aged looking guy like that that he is truly truly much more evil than he looks that's your noir villain right there (laughs) i like it i like it and i like the fact that the demons are the victims and that the humans are the perpetrators and that the evil really runs very human in this episode it is a striking example of of human on human violence if you like though i guess we can infer that the McNamara brothers are no strangers to that kind of violence, given the finger at the beginning of the episode. I would guess so, because that finger may not have been Jack's, but it was somebody's. It was somebody's it finger. It belonged to somebody. I don't Some think it dude. came from the wax museum. Yeah. <laughs> and presumably a human being. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a striking moment. I think that in this part of the story, we're maybe cluttering the plot just a little. Mm-hmm. We could do with a little space. We could do with Angel spending time with Crib, with Trepkos, trying to really articulate Mm -hmm. his opposition to what they're facing. Yes. Instead, we get this beat with Jack, with Darren. Then the follow-up is that Angel wakes in the Wolfram and Hart office with Lila. It turns out that she's an associate with Wolfram and Hart. She's bought Angel's contract. He's free, as long as he forgets about the Demon Fight Club. He can still do good on the streets of Los Angeles as long as he doesn't cross paths with Wolfram and Hart. Angel isn't particularly enthusiastic about the offer and voluntarily returns to the ring rather than side with the bad guys. This is a misstep for me in the story. This is where the noir is too much. Mm -hmm. We go a step too far toward a different kind of story. And it doesn't really have a purpose because it doesn't change anything. He ends up going back in, not to mention the fact that he is there in an office with no cuffs on. Right. And there's just two guys sitting in the office. So instead of beating up those guys, going back, getting his team and coming back and saving everybody, he puts himself deliberately in a position in which he is going to have to kill somebody or be killed before he can figure out a way out. Well, he'll he'll be a prisoner. He won't be able to use his power for saving these guys. Um, So for me, taking him out is a really bad idea. Taking him out and having him go back in as some kind of sense of honor thing when he absolutely has choices in that situation exactly Um, because what is lila going to do right what What promise could she she possibly contract with her right you know she didn't get his his agreement he has no cuff Mm -hmm. he can leave you know i mean there's nothing to stop him this scene would have worked perhaps a little better if Lila had gone to Angel and in made the, cells. the offer. Sure. Yes. Yes. Because then there's a whole question of trust. There's a whole question mm-hmm. of whether she will actually follow through. There's a question of whether the cuff can be yes. removed at all mm-hmm. at this point in the story. Unfortunately, we want the noir. We want the scene with Angel and the femme fatale yes. in the upscale office. Mm-hmm. It's about the environment here. Right. And that just doesn't work because you're absolutely right. Angel is a pragmatic character. Sure. He would simply say, sure, cool. I will totally never cross paths with Wolfram and Hart again. Let me just go and get my buddies. Exactly. And go and burn <laughs> Demon Fight Club to the ground. Yeah. Which he could 
trivially do because mm-hmm. the scale of the operation doesn't seem such that Angel, forearmed with knowledge about what's inside, couldn't overcome the challenges well, that it presents. Well, he doesn't even have to agree and lie to her. All he has to do is say no, beat up those two guys, which, let's face it, we've seen Angel handle yeah. much, much tougher than we that. We empower those tasers with a oh, great sure. deal of strength in this episode. And but- Well, the thing is, Angel without a cuff, being able to move around in a space... Sure. You know, I mean, he can defend himself against those guys. We've seen him do no, it. I, I agree. Yeah. That's not the narrative intent. So we give these guys these ominous looking tasers and we have that great sound effect rather than simply having, you know, nine guys in that exactly. space. <laughs> we want to make it clear that, that just yeah. walking out isn't mm-hmm. an option for him right now. Well, and taking him out of this space drains the tension from that space because he's out, which is yes, what we need. Because so, yes. we mm-hmm. want that shot. We want that frame. We want the femme photography. We want Wolfram and Hart yeah. as the big bad. We want this kind of corporate villainy, mm-hmm. the the white collar face of true evil. And it's no accident that our villains in this episode are white collar guys, sure. a white collar mm-hmm. woman working for this this corporate vision of America. Mm-hmm. Whereas our victims are the oppressed demons of Los Angeles. Again, not an entirely compatible perspective mm-hmm. with the rest of the season of Angel, but th- that's what we're dealing with in this episode, at least. Back at the office, Wesley is conducting some experiments with the band. He misapplies his alchemical knowledge and blows himself off his chair. Cordelia rushes to his side, rather sweetly, but he's going to keep working. Back in the cells, the demons are impressed with Angel's return. Darren clasps the band around Angel's wrist and tells him that tonight he's fighting Trepkos. And Angel will be his 21st kill. Back at the office, Cordelia gives Wesley some horsehair from Keanu, her former Palomino <laughs> pony. So much characterization. No, I was just going to so say. So much world building. That is like in a one moment. line that is so characterization like <laughs> dense. There's so much in that that she had a Palomino that his name was Keanu. And that it's she kept the horsehair in her bracelet all these years and then gives it up in a heartbeat to save Angel. I love everything in that in that There's one moment. It's so wonderful. And I love previously in that scene with Cordy and Wesley when he goes flying across the room because mm-hmm. it's too much electricity. That is not Pratt Fall Wesley. That is Wesley who is putting himself no. in danger in order to solve the problem and save Angel. I like that. And I like the way that Cordy runs to his side. I didn't particularly care for the way that she was bitching and moaning prior to that about how long it was taking yeah, and giving I- him a hard time rather than helping him because I feel like we are... We've moved. We're arcing through that space. Why are we going to go back? I kind of voluntarily skipped over that in my yeah. notes because it feels unworthy of the rest of Cordelia it that does. we get in it this is. episode. But you're right. In the same we way the push-up bra is unworthy of Wesley. It's, yeah. it's one of those things that's just these characters are better than that. I think so. And at least if we're going to have Cordelia express frustration mm-hmm. with how long it's taking Wesley to figure this thing out, it should be rooted in an actual concern for Angel rather than this somewhat petulant, somewhat yeah, sulky, yeah. oh, you've been at it all night. Exactly. I'm bored. Yeah. But all of that is just blown away by the horsehair from Keanu. No, I love that moment. I love <laughs> so that good. moment. I love everything about it. Yeah. <laughs> Back at the ring, we see Lila putting $10,000 on Trepkos and the announcer welcomes Angel and Trepkos to the ring. They face off and Angel gives him the inspirational speech. Trepkos offers him a quick death but Angel turns it down, and they fight. Trepkos draws first blood and knocks Angel to the floor. We cut to Cordelia, distracting a guard in the hallway and letting Wesley slip by. Inside, Wesley approaches Crib, who tells him that Angel is going to be dead in 20 seconds, then grabs Wesley's key with his tongue. Ugh. Gross. Well, also, Wesley has this key, of which we have one. Is the only thing that can save Angel. Yeah. Let's reach inside with the hand, because hold it up, and show it. What we want is the story where Crib comes good and frees the other demons. Yes. We want this to be a rebellion from within mm-hmm. rather than, you know, right. the coming of a savior from without. And if a savior is going to come from without, we really don't want it to be Wesley. We want it to be Angel. Let's not forget what show we're watching. Let's not forget whose name is on the banner. Very true. But could we not have had it? in his pocket or something, just sticking out a little awkwardly. And then this guy has this very, you know, specific and very long tongue that can go through (laughs) 
the bars that he can just reach out and you know and You're grab it absolutely right this is another I would like for this not to be a, a oh god wesley how stupid are you well and you we know? lose some pace yeah too, here mm-hmm. in the final movement of the story we spend a lot of time in the ring which we have to we've, we've established that this is how mm-hmm. the story is going to play out so we just have a lot of David Boreanaz's stunt double yes. being knocked around the ring. And unfortunately, <laughs> yes, when you're watching it on Netflix and it's a super clean screen, yes, it's very apparent yeah. when it's the stunt double and when mm-hmm. it isn't. But that that's okay. You know, we we can accept that that's from okay. a TV we show from 2000. Don't want David Boreanaz beaten up. Sure. You know, we need him looking pretty for next week. <laughs> it's a savage beating that mm-hmm. he takes. Yeah. I like the way it's framed. I like the execution a little less. Mm-hmm. And the more abstract we go, when we start moving into that stuttery slow motion yes. that we've observed before in Angel, mm-hmm. I'm kind of turned off by that. I'm yeah. not engaged by the movement of the I story in that, that. moment. Mm-hmm. So back in the ring, Darren throws a pair of broomsticks to raise the stakes pun intended, and Angel is hard-pushed to defend himself. Wesley returns to Cordelia empty-handed as Trepkos impales Angel with the broomstick. Angel snaps it in half and pins the demon to the floor, the point of the staff at his throat. As the crowd chants Angel's name, Crib unlocks his band and watches as Angel gets up, leaving Trepkos alive. Trepkos begins to beat on our plucky vampire as Cordelia and Wesley get closer to Darren, but hesitates at the last moment, refusing to kill his opponent. The guards charge their tasers as Wesley holds Darren at gunpoint, but then the newly freed demons burst from the cells. Crip removes Angel's band as the riot breaks out. Darren has Wesley at gunpoint now, but Cordelia pushes him into the ring, where Crib slaps the cuff around his wrist and Trepkos throws him across the red line, disintegrating him entirely. The band falls to the ground. Crib frees Trepkos and they help Angel stagger from the ring. Outside, Angel thanks Cordelia and Wesley for rescuing him, and for releasing a bunch of violent and dangerous demons onto the streets of... Oh. (laughs) The end. There's a lot of mechanism Mm -hmm. in the last five, ten minutes of this story. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of detail work that feels as though it's just plot point, plot point, plot point. We have to maneuver everyone into their necessary positions. So we have... Cordelia distracting the guard and Wesley slipping into the cells, mm-hmm. but then he gives his key to Crib. He goes back out because we need him for the confrontation with Darren. Yes. And we're just, it, it lacks a certain elegance. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. exacerbated because we have to play so coy with the violence that's happening in the ring. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because we have to build to really a number of repeated climaxes. Mm-hmm. We have Angel getting impaled. We have Angel threatening Trepkos. There's mm-hmm. a moment there where he has that that shard of wood pressed against the base of his throat, which yeah. is a really affecting mm-hmm. moment of, of potential violence. Yeah. Uh, a moment of potential violence that, again, also feels as though it belongs to a different kind of show. Sure. Mm-hmm. Then we have the slave revolt. Then we have the standoff with Wesley and Darren. Then we have the standoff with Darren and Wesley. We're just, we're piling mm-hmm. detail after detail after detail onto this. I think it would have been better had Darren not been in the ring. Mm-hmm. Had he been in the cells, had he been in a different environment, out in the bar that we never see again after yeah. that first glimpse. Mm-hmm. Had we managed to separate those, you're talking about Wesley and Cordelia being mm-hmm. shuttled off into a B-plot. Yes. And oftentimes mm-hmm. that's an inessential part of the story. Here they actually have something to do, which is confront the human villain. Yeah. That is a thing that they can do, particularly because Angel doesn't play a part in Darren's final downfall. Yeah. I think if it hadn't been quite as orchestrated mm-hmm. as it is, it maybe would have kept its pace a little better. Mm-hmm. But overall... It works for me. How does it work for you? I actually quite like it. Um, I feel like Darren, like we in the Buffyverse like to have, you know, metaphysical justice for metaphysical things and then, or supernatural anyway, and, um, and then human justice for humans. And we have here, you know, an inversion where it is the humans who are truly, truly evil and the demons who are, you know, maybe not the greatest, but they're, they're like fairly decent guys, you know, they're like, okay. Um, at least as far as we see in this circumstance in which they are, you know, victims and imprisoned and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I ordinarily, I think that we like to have human justice for humans, in which case, you know, we would have Cordy and Wesley uh, call Kate, Kate would come round Darren up or whatever for running an illegal fight club or whatever, you know, um, in this circumstance, I think that because we have 
really shown exactly how evil, how terrible Darren is, that it would not be a satisfying conclusion if he were not to get disintegrated. It pains me to say it. We really, from a thematic perspective, from a world building perspective, mm-hmm. we should have had Kate in this episode. Yeah. That should have been the end of the episode mm-hmm. is Kate rolling up with an entire, I don't know, platoon of police and officers. Dealing human justice to human yes. perpetrators. I'm yes. a little bothered by Darren being disintegrated mm-hmm. at the end of the episode because you're right. That's not about justice. That is about vengeance. And yes. that's why we don't have Angel do it. Exactly. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's why we don't have Angel Trepkos do it. Trepkos yeah. does it so that we, the audience, can feel okay about our heroes at the end of the story. But there's no textual response to it. Mm-hmm. No one at any point looks aghast. Instead, if anything, we play it for a joke when Cordelia gets Darren dust yes. all over her party dress. <laughs> I mean, it's not that I think it's unjust. It's that I think that's not how we approach these problems in this Typically, story. It's not, but because we made Darren so evil, and we in sure the did end, he's going to have to die. Did he have to die by Trepko's hand? Maybe not. Could it have been more accidental or something that just sort of but, happened? Maybe not. But I mean, I think that I don't. I think that if he hadn't died in this episode, that it would have fell because we built we built up how evil he is and all i mean he killed his own brother he cut off somebody's finger you know i mean there are a lot of bad things that this guy has done and that's just in this 45 minutes when you frame this story as a noir story which Mm -hmm. i will admit is more mark than it is gordon Mm -hmm. it's more the director than it is the writer in Mm -hmm. this instance but when you frame it as a noir story and you look at it through that lens yeah this is a disaster Mm -hmm. angel hasn't actually accomplished anything he really has unleashed you know, a torrent of, of violent demons onto yes. the streets of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. We know because this is a noir that he's done nothing at all to restore any greater balance of justice to the right. streets. Mm-hmm. That someone will step into that power vacuum mm-hmm. and it'll probably be Ernie. Yes. That mm-hmm. Lila is still out there. Our heroes haven't accomplished anything. In an angel story, in mm-hmm. a Buffy story, this would be a victory albeit a somewhat bittersweet victory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a noir story, this is at best a wash. <laughs> at best, this is well, live to fight another day. isn't that what noir is about? That, right, that's all you get is live to fight noir. another day. Well, no, true. I mean, but it is sort of a, a noir take on Angel. And I think that, I Angel, think that actually the ending, the ending works pretty well for me. Angel like as a it. show mm-hmm. and as a character is about why we fight. Yeah. It's about why we do the things that we do. And Angel brings, generally speaking, hope. Mm -hmm. There is no hope at the end of this. (laughs) None at all. It's not as though these demons are going to go off and and start working for Habitat for Humanity and make the world a better place. (laughs) They're just going to be recycled through the system. Having Kate show up or or having police show up at the Mm -hmm. end and actually raid the bar. Not only is that a good callback to the promised raid earlier Mm -hmm. in the episode, but it makes us feel that... There is a chance, at least, for justice. Right, because everybody else gets away scot-free. I mean, he was not alone in this, and everybody else just gets off scot-free. I think that Darren had to die. I think in this episode, Darren had to die. Did he have to die at Trepkos's hand? I think uh, maybe, but it's okay. It doesn't bother me at all. I think that it's appropriate, uh, given how dangerous he is. I think that Angel did do some good in that there were these demons that were having to fight and kill each other and being forced to be murderers um, in order to survive. And we have no evidence that any of them were set free after the 21st kill that that was a promise that was ever lived up oh, to. Oh, I'm sure it wasn't. Um so cuz if they were set free, they would come back and kill Darren and yeah, his there's, brother. There's a I follow mean, there's up, no, you know, the most dangerous game story exactly, happening. Yeah. So out there's in the desert there's no I'm way sure. that that's going to work. Um I think that by shutting it down in whatever way he did that that in, in itself was a victory. And those demons can go out and it is possible based on what we understand of demons that some of them are just going to have families and live lives and be okay. We'll, we will have some recidivism, sure. But, you well, know, it's not just Angel about can recidivism. deal with that as they do bad things. But we've already established that demons are not inherently evil any Certainly. more than humans are inherently evil. It's not just about recidivism. And you're absolutely right. Certainly we've moved past the idea that demons are innately evil. But they have been held as slaves. They have been referred to as slaves. They have been made to kill. And they have witnessed horrific violence at the hands of humans. Mm -hmm. Under the gaze of humans. 
Do you think these demons are just going to go off and lead a happy life? Do you think there's no damage there that needs to be restored? I need to see these human beings arrested yes. so that the demons get a sense of justice. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. if they're going off to live in the sewers and shadows of Los Angeles. I think that the demons should have the opportunity to do something evil before being condemned for doing something evil. I think that um, these demons are there for whatever reason. They weren't terrible guys. They were tough guys because you have to be tough or you're going to get killed in your first fight. Um, so I don't really have a problem with it. I like the ending. I like the way that everything was built up until it finally exploded in, yes, a somewhat hectic and frenetic you know, ending. Um, but and, and I like that it's conflicted at the end. It's they did win. They shut down the Fight know. Club, and the then there more... are all these demons running off into the night. I feel like that is that is a consistent angel ending. We fight because the fight is worthwhile, not necessarily because we know we're going to win. The more I think about the end of this episode, the darker it seems. Mm-hmm. And I want to be clear: the darker, not the worse. It is dark. I yeah. think it's a good ending. Yeah, it's just it is dark, really dark. Yeah, it is dark. <laughs> like, really dark (laughs) all right where are we going to put this episode on the big list of every angel episode ever Uh, well i have to say i think this is a well-written episode while the first act for me is somewhat unnecessary for the most part um and we work our way up to that twist where oh my goodness they're brothers and they tricked angel you know um i think that this is well written it's well structured we have a lot of moving parts that sort of come together at the end into that big explosion which is not easy to do and i really appreciate the skill that went into it while i feel like cordy and wesley are absolutely inconsistent in ways that are that don't speak well of them they get some really great moments and i love seeing them work together like that and work together so well um i liked angel in this episode aside from the no i'm going to go back into the ring i I would like to just excise that whole lila's office bit from the episode itself because i think that that is a, a, a misstep even in the rest of it angel's a little flat he doesn't really like bring it. anything other than stoicism, well, which is, of course, one of Angel's yeah, most is, virtues. Yeah, that's, that's, that's who he is. But when he tries to tell them that, that you know, we don't fight, they don't have anything to sell right, if we go along with it, you know? That's a little checkbox. The dialogue there mm-hmm. is not as sophisticated as I would like. And we know that Angel can make these rallying cries. Yeah, he, can re- yeah. he can speechify when he needs he to, sure can. I'm saying. I would have liked to have seen something a little more... A little more developed, a little mm-hmm. more nuanced, a little more thoughtful there. But that fight, that final fight with Trepkos, yeah. where, you know, he's not fighting. Trepkos has beaten hell out of him. He's not fighting. And then when he gets the opportunity where he could kill Trepkos, he doesn't do it. Yeah. I like those moments for Angel. No, I there think are good he, moments. You know, he sticks by his convictions, even in a circumstance where he could get himself killed. I'm not sure that if we don't fight, they can't make us fight is sophisticated enough a response mm-hmm. to the circumstance in which he finds himself, sure. which trivially displays the ability of the McNamara brothers to make them fight mm-hmm. or yeah. die. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If there were some kind of some kind of reflexivity in the plot wherein the McNamaras were in a vulnerable position because they had promised these very wealthy and very powerful people mm-hmm. a battle royale. Right. And then if we had explored the idea that Angel and Trepkos, by refusing to fight, mm-hmm. would cause the crowd to turn on the McNamara brothers, sure. then we'd be approaching something. That could be that could be interesting, and we could do that in the space that we don't need the first act for, you know? <laughs> or Lila, <laughs> or Lila. Sure. Exactly, we could use that space for that. But overall, I think that this is a pretty. I mean, one thing about Howard Gordon, I think he's a pretty good writer. I think he's a pretty solid. He moves the story forward in a fairly solid way. I'm not that interested in the like Demon Fight Club as a concept, but I think that this is. Well written. It, it, it essentially is one of the disposable. If I was to, you know, create a list of the essential episodes of Angel season one, this wouldn't make the cut. Well, Howard because Gordon's it really episodes. Move anything for- forward, yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Howard Gordon's episodes are bunched together on the list right now. We yes. have Hero at number four and Expecting at number five. Mm-hmm. Where does this episode go in relation to those? Um, is this the best of his three episodes? Is it the worst of his three episodes? Does it split the difference? 
uh, maybe it splits the difference. I think, um, so too. I think it's I think it's real good. Um, I think it's a strong, well written episode. It doesn't have the heavy lifting to do of something like Hero or something like Parting Gifts or I Will Remember You. It doesn't have that kind of big emotional impact. And it's one of those episodes that honestly, if you just want to watch for the overarching story, if you want to watch for the big movements, you would skip over and not miss. Right, but, but it's if well we're done in its moment. Counting disposability against Angel episodes we would have to cut a lot of the first season no but i'm saying that when you're talking about like you know the top top episodes those are the ones that have that kind of impact that do something you know really powerful in the moment i don't think that this does something really powerful but i think that what it does it does really well i think beyond i will remember you imparting gifts we haven't actually had much in the way of important angel much in the way of critical angel thus Mm -hmm. far i think everything else is Probably the pilot, you would argue, and City Hero. Of, belongs on the list. Hero yes. is a big moment. I parting par- Gifts is a I big think moment. Parting Gifts is the mm-hmm. the significant moment yeah. in that two-parter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the actual movement of Hero is problematic from a world-building perspective, as so many of Howard Gordon's scripts are. Yeah. I think that Hero gets by because of its ambition and its accomplishment. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good episode. I don't think it's necessarily by the strictest definition an important episode Mm -hmm. certainly it gets less and less important the more angel you have on the list yes Mm -hmm. by the time you roll to episode nine Mm -hmm. hero's pretty important here we are much later (laughs) in the season it's already receding into memory i do think that hero is a better episode than the ring Mm -hmm. but i think that the ring trivially exceeds the accomplishments of expecting yeah mm -hmm. i think that expecting is a much more ragged much more inconsistent Mm -hmm. much less focused and ambitious episode of television i think that the ring goes in nicely there right at number five right between hero and expecting i think so too i think that's a great place for it look at that see we can solve our differences without conflict exactly nobody had to fight there's no story wonk fight club (laughs) be really really short bout anyway you're scrappy i I can tell just by looking at you oh i am you you wouldn't give up (laughs) that is it then for this week of dusted or double angel week of dusted we'll be back on monday to return to Sunnydale, to switch our focus back to season four of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the brilliant, ambitious, once-in-a-lifetime and not unproblematic episode, Superstar. Oh, I love it. (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) There is a lot to love. There is also going to be some really interesting discussion. Oh, sure there is. Some of the elements of Superstar. Oh, yes, there is. That that will present themselves to us during that conversation, (laughs) I'm sure. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope that you will join us again on Monday for Superstar. Until then... I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted. Dusted.